0: I love the idea that um, if people here are hungry enough that they want to do church right after Christmas, someone asked me, "So we're we going to have church. And I said, never, never entered my mind to do otherwise. So what about next year that Christmas is on Sunday? People can't count us on Sunday. I said, well, let's just move Christmas then. Because <laughs> that's what it's all about is to worship and honor the Lord and all that we do. When you consider that one of the greatest legacies that any church can give the people attending or any parent can give to their children is how to connect with God. You can get a lot of information about God, you can quote a lot of scriptures, but how do you directly connect with God? Where you feel like that uh, he's heard your prayer and something has happened on the inside of you to where you feel divinely inspired minister to, that the Lord has touched you in such a way that, that you feel like I'm in the right place, the right time on that journey. It just dawned on me, and I can't tell you the whole story because it'd be too embarrassing to me. But years and years ago, I was in the sanctuary praying, and the Lord spoke to me about, he said, I'm going to give you something. It was just so beyond my imagination, my ability to even grasp it. I just kind of laid it down a little bit, A few weeks later, we were at another church and ministering in presbytery, and we were in a hospitality room ministering to the elders privately. Someone put their head over my shoulders and leaned their chin on my, and, and said, remember what I told you about it. I want you to know that it was really me that said it. I turned to look around, see who it was, and I was just this far from the wall. There was nobody behind me. So I asked somebody who was over there, and so I said, who was that that was standing behind me? And he looked at me like, I think you need to sit down. You need to rest. He said, Pastor, there's no one behind you. I just leaned over and told Diane just a minute ago, I was sitting there in worship. I mean, this was years ago. The Lord spoke to me and said, I gave it to you, but you didn't recognize how I gave it to you, and so it just you accepted it because you were looking at it to come one way, and I brought it another way. And she looked at me, and she, he did do it, he did do it. If I told you what it was, you'd blow your mind too. So we, I love what uh, Pastor Alex was saying about there's things that happen in seed form that God says things to us that it's a conception at that moment. And if we're not careful, we'll abort what God said because we, it didn't happen the way we thought it should happen, or it happened in the time frame that we gave it, or with who it should have been with, and we just dismiss it as, I guess it went gone. We are linear thinkers. We think from a zero to a hundred is a hundred. So if God said something here and it didn't happen in this time frame, then I guess it's not happening. If You've been around it very long. You've heard me say this that God is not linear in his thought, he is redemptive in his thoughts. Because redemptive means Alpha, means beginning, Omega, what? Ending. Well, if he's redemptive, that where he starts, he also ends, and in Jewish terms, you can't separate the two. He starts and he ends, and you cannot see the separation as if you had put a ring on someone's finger and you can't see the, the break there. It is unbroken. And so when God says something to us, he sees it in the terms of redemptive in the idea of how he views it, not how we view it. And there's times that we have to have our capacity or our understanding enlarged to be able to see, not just possibility thinking. And I have people ask me, "So, do you think God means this or God means this? I don't know, it's your dream. I can help translate and interpret dreams the best I can, but it all comes down to it's your seed, your womb, it's your timing that you walk it out before the Lord. And there's times where we don't see things fulfilled because there's a a cooperation that happens with the Word in the operation of that. Heard you? You maybe heard me tell a story when I first one of the first funerals I did after falling in the grave. The first funeral, the second when I was redemptive, standing at the casket and this lady was there and she's telling me don't raise him up and I was happy to oblige her because I sure didn't feel the faith to do it I was thinking at that moment that she had more life insurance on this guy than what I knew she didn't want him to come back and I just looked around curiously and I said why don't you want him raised up she said he'd be disappointed and I said really why because he has a lot of words that God has spoken to him that were unfulfilled. Now, said, you have to understand that a prophecy proceeding word is not a mandate or a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's the level that we embrace it because prophecy is like seed sown, produces 30, 60, 100. And we can abort that seed or we can take that and put it on a shelf, as people say, which is no prophetic shelf in Scripture that I can find, And nothing changes or nothing happens. And so therefore we say, well, there it is. So I'm disappointed. God didn't, that it was a bad word, bad prophet, bad something. No, it may have been bad ground. Because Mary said, I don't understand how these things can be. The angel said, I'm going to give you a son. And she immediately says, I haven't been with a man. Understanding the gestation period and all that goes with that. I, I haven't been with a man. So how can these things be? But she did say, nonetheless, let it be unto me according to your word. And the angel said with God, nothing is impossible. And the word nothing there is the same word as rhema. No rhema word is impossible with God. No freshly spoken word from God will return without accomplishing what it was sent to do. Inside that word, it has the potential and power to do exactly what it said. We just have to provide a place to incubate. And I didn't have time to get into last week, and I certainly know now, about there's a, there's a conception, there's an incubation time, there's a point of even travailing to bring something forth to its full potential. But a lot of times we, we get in between and we just don't see it happening. Now, when we were having, when I was having babies anyway, you know, you could see a sonogram, but they sure weren't three-dimensional now you can see that kid there and you can see, you know, you know, sucking thumb and doing all that. I mean, now it's out there and they put it on the, on the Facebook for the whole world to see your womb. Now, my, on my day, that was just unheard of. But, you know, we kind of that way with God. I want to see what's going on. He doesn't give us the 3D dimensional sonogram picture of what it looks like. It'd be so much easier if he would. Because faith is not what I, what I think in information. It is substance. Supostasio says the word. I stand under who what he said and understanding him. Therefore, I believe that he is in control of whatever it is and who it is and what it looks like at the end result. Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. Last week, I started something, and I'll connect a little bit with it this this morning, is that one of the things that God calls every person to be is to tend the garden. The word Eden means the place of his presence, the place of his pleasure. So all of us are called to be a tender of the place of his presence, to oversee that nothing interferes or interrupts with his presence. And we're continually tested. You're here today because you didn't want anything to interrupt with his presence thankful everybody's watching online, but there's something weighty, I'm not saying it can't happen there, but there's something weighty when we gather together and we hear one another ministering to one another and ministering to the Lord. But part of that understanding was what God said to Abraham when he said, I'm going to give you children. And he was a hundred years old and his wife was way past you know, time of bearing. So God says things that, are not as though they are. We hear things that are not, and we just assume that's the way they are. Not. But when he says something to us, usually out of our ability to make happen, that's what causes it to be a miracle. And he tells him, I'm going to give you a son. The re- and the reason why it was so important was because he had a Eleazar, his servant, but it wasn't his bloodline, But to have a son means that you would have someone to protect you in your old age. You would have someone to oversee the legacy and the wealth that you had created. And you would have someone that would walk out the same principles that you instilled with him. And remember the scripture I gave back in Genesis where he said, where the angel of the Lord's coming in and it's going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of Lot, Abram's nephew was there. But he said, told the angel, said, will I withhold anything from Abram? because he has ordered his children to follow after him. In other words, God's saying, because you've recognized the lineage to move on even to that point. So the reason why sons are important, and and when I say the word son, it is not gender specific. Ladies, if you're born again, you're a son. Can you get, get past that point? Just right now, you're a son. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We know that. But guys, there'll come a time when we're caught up to be with the Lord in the air, when you'll no longer be a son, you'll be a bride. Just get over it. (laughs) There's neither no testosterone nor estrogen in heaven. Am I really stretching the, the biology here? Well, I think there's neither male nor female. So obviously that has to be true in my understanding of science. Meaning, in fact, is that the relationship to the Lamb of God is the fulfillment and all that it's about. The one thing that we'll do in heaven that we did get to do here in practice is what we did this morning, is worshiping the Lord. Won't be any preaching there. Won't have to be any convincing there. Won't be taking any offerings there, any buildings. that have to keep up any of that at all. There's no tears. There's no sorrow. There's not worrying about who's doing what to who and all the stuff going on. It has gone away because now... The whole focus and attention comes because the lamb is the light and the light is the lamb. And God's plan started in the very beginning because from the very beginning of time before the foundations of the earth was even put into place that the lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. I can't wrap my brain around that and understand that all I know God had a plan before I needed a plan. Before the earth was even existed. He already knew the end from the beginning. Isaiah tells us that. So one of the reasons that we see the idea with sons. Is to carry on something of a legacy for generations from that point. If you went back into Malachi the third chapter. The, the end of the, the last chapter there going into the fourth. And, and uh, ends the, the, the Old Testament writings prophets. And I've heard people preach on this concerning more family than anything. But I want to suggest to you it means much more than that. He said, I will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I come and bring a curse on the earth. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? He was meaning much more than the fact is, you guys better get along with your daddies and you daddies better start getting along with your sons. But there was a reason for why he said that was because that generation had, had stopped telling the stories about the miracles that happened to the Hebrews before they were Israelites when they came out of Egypt and how they were delivered out of Egypt and how they were brought across the Red Sea, how they were sustained in the wilderness and all the miracles. And when they stopped telling the stories of the generations and legacies of the fathers to the son, he says it brings a curse to the land. What was the curse? The fact is you lose the promises that God said. Sometimes when Diane and I are on a trip and we're driving anyway, I, we have, I have a file of prophecies that have been given to, to us over the years. And, uh, and she'll, she'll just start reading them while I'm driving. Keeps her busy from not having to worry about what I'm doing. And it's amazing to hear the prophetic words that were spoken to us 20 and 30 years, even at the very beginning of this church, most of them related to what was going on here and to see how much of that has been fulfilled. It's amazing. Because we believe the word and it would produce what we believed it to be. So when we we tell the stories, and it's one of the reasons we do the, the new members class is not to get people to sign in blood and you know now something you know, you're under contract. There's no, no, nothing for you to sign a contract. Because contracts are made to be broken. So we don't want anybody to do that. But we do want you to know the history of what God said. So that we can tell it to the next generation. The Bible says one generation shall what? Praise the next generation. The reason I tell so many stories about my mother is because it stays alive inside of me. You get to hear them all. And it's, it's the generation of what she paid the price for that I, I didn't have to do. And the, and the things that I had to go through and break through, you don't have to. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And so when we pass them on, it means it's your breakthrough as well when you believe God for them. One of the reasons why God said to Abram, I give you a son, is because a son will connect the generations and the son carries seed. The word seed is translated in scripture as sperma, it just is. So it's not about a male or female. It's the principle of the kingdom of God, sowing and reaping. But when he talks about in Isaiah 9, and I want us to pick up there, this is my Christmas message for the year. As close as I can get. Isaiah the ninth chapter. Just as Adam was the was given the right to preside over the presence of God and over the earth, and he gave it up. God never gave up on having a son on the earth that would rule and reign. He doesn't give up on a plan. He just has a way to redeem it and restore it, and it may not be restored exactly the way we think it should be restored in our personal lives, the application anyway, but yet he is still redemptive in all that he says and all that he does. He's so creative, I can't think of ways that he would redeem something that the enemy stole or taken away. Let's let's pick it up. This is a a Messianic prophecy, 6,000 years before it ever happened. For unto us a child is born. Pastor Alex kind of preached the message there a little bit before he got there. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Those two distinct words mean a lot. Hang on to them. And the government, basilea is the same word as we get kingdom, will be upon his shoulders that he will carry the government or carry even the word ekklesia, which means the called out ones to called out to, for the purpose of governing here on the earth. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And why is that so important to us? Upon the throne of David, because Jesus came through the lineage of David, and over his kingdom, his government, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. Any time that we have difficulty getting justice for ourselves, or we think injustice happened to us, we should take it back to the one who is justice and who is right judgment. And when I, when I have trouble, if I have trouble dealing with injustice, what I'm saying is, Jesus, you're not big enough to take my injustice. I'm still fighting it. instead of still laying it over to him. I thought it was good. To establish it. Judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever. It's a long time. The zeal, and it means the passion of the Lord will not stop until it's finished. The zeal of the Lord of what? Host, meaning the one that heads up all the angels, the captain of the host. All the angelic force is host. So the passion, the red hot fervency of the Lord said, I will not stop nor back up or change my mind until this is performed, until this child, this son, the, everything the government is put upon him and everything that God said about him, it will all be performed and I will not back up until it stops, until it's over. That's only been when we're caught up in the new heavens and new earth. Let him figure that out. Let me just look at these two words quickly. The word child there is the word, and especially in the Greek, there's another word for Hebrew, but they mean basically the same thing. I can just pronounce the Greek better than I can the Hebrew. So in the Greek, it would be, in New Testament form, would be technon, T-E-K-N-O-N. And it means a, a child, as Alex was saying, that is so dependent upon the mother that it can't do anything for itself. So we would say an Infant. So here's prophesied of the king of all kings and the ruler of the world. He he comes as a child. He's born. Born totally dependent upon a mother, totally dependent upon an earthly existence from parents. So Jesus came in the form of man, touching all points of life of man and yet without sin. Philippians 2 says talks about that very thing. So Jesus came in the form of what Adam failed in to show that that man could succeed in. Adam failed in the Garden of Eden. Jesus overcame in the Garden of Gethsemane. Eden, the place of his presence. Garden of Eden is the place of pressure, the press, the wine press. So Jesus came through that point and and took upon him the press Starts sweating drops of blood out of his own body, every capillary for whatever that is medically happening to him is sweating drops of blood because what Adam failed, the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this, he overcame. So when we put ourselves into the equation, then we're saying in a New Testament version of this, a child is born, totally dependent upon Mary and Joseph, unto us a son is given. A child is born, but a son is given. The word given there means the there's a choice or will in every person to receive it or not. A gift is given, but do you receive it? How many received gifts that you didn't really want? By the way, Dinah's thrilled. I mean all the gifts and everything that came in last week just blew us away. Nobody wanted them back after the message. And I'm just I just thrilled and you know at that possibility. And we're still eating goodies off of that and, and I mean, it's the largest display of affection we've, ever, we've seen here. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for all, all your loving that you've shown towards us. When he says a child is born, and if it stopped right there, then that would be all it would be. But then a son, and the word son there is weos, H-U-I-O-S, and it means fully adult, a grown to the point of taking over the family business. So even at a bar mitzvah, there is a laying on of hands that a father would lay hands upon a son. And he's usually at the age of 15 in, in Jewish culture. Uh, today, we say it's 21. Science tells us that your cerebral cortex is not even fully formed until you're 24. So we can't even make the right decision until we're 24. I wish they had told me that when I was 20. <laughs> I would have maybe made some different decisions. So he tells us that the, a son is born. For a lot of people, they're still all they see is a child has been born. But when it comes to the son is given, that means the government and the rulership and all that he carries for the family is wrapped up in the son, not wrapped up in the child. Part of the developing of every believer is for us to move into sonship and my question today are we a good son or are we just we just like the idea of being child childish? Because in the idea of sons, this is what he tells him. Back up a second. And he says, his name shall be mighty God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of his increase and of his government to be have. So everything that it says about him is now imparted and imputed to you and I. Because we operate in the anointing and the authority of the son, not the child. I know we we love the story of, of, you know, of Christmas and we should it's wrapped about this child and and all that was given it was a prophetic the wise men coming and all of the gifts that were giving you know the gold frankincense and myrrh all that we had specific you know connotations prophetically what was to happen but God wanted to come down to this point of I I've, I've given you a son in order to restore back to you everything that was lost I had to give you a son not just a child and in the son, all this authority and power that rules and reigns, and the government that sets on his shoulders, I now place upon us individually and as upon us corporately as a church. What we do with this determines whether we're gonna go back to our, the Adamic nature or we're gonna go back and raise up and continue on as the son of the living God. Because the idea of I've given you a son means the fact is you now carry the same potential That he does. He's at the right side. The word hand was not in scripture, it wasn't in the the canonization. Writers put in later to kind of explain proximity, but the original said that he's at the right side of the Father. The entrance, you note that the right side of the brain is the point that we, we make a romantic, intimate thought. The left side of the brain is where that we, we make, you know, mathematic calculations where everything has to make sense to us. You know, if it doesn't make sense, then I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Faith operates out of here. Possibility thinking operates out of here. Jesus is not on the left side. He's on the right side of the father ever making intercession for us is the place of intimacy that Jesus is there. So when we say, what position do we have in heaven? We're, we're on the the right side, accepting the fact is I don't understand everything on the other side. I don't have to make sense to me. All I know that I want to be there when John, the bat, when John, not the Baptist, but John ends up being over on, on Jesus chest. And the other disciples were trying to figure out who was who in the zoo And they come to John and say, well, you asked Jesus. You seem to have a way with him. And he just has his head on John's, uh, John's on Jesus chest and just kind of answers them. And Jesus said, what's that to you? John had found a place with Jesus, that intimate place with him that was more satisfying than concerned about what's about to happen and who, who the pecking order. When we have to look for significance in this life, then we've lost the position with Jesus. Because Jesus gives us that significance. It is who he is. And we have eternity with him. So therefore, I don't have to worry about what people think or what they think, want me to think or what they, I need them to think. It's all about what does he think. As one thinks, so they react and respond. I want to act and respond like I'm on the right side, not on the left side trying to figure it out. I got, This doesn't make sense. The first shall be last. I mean, what makes that sense? So you got to go up to go down. You got to go down to go up. That makes sense. It's because we're on the wrong side of the presence of God with that. So look in Isaiah, the 11th chapter. Also messianic with that. Pick it up verse 13. Excuse me, first one, and go to one to three. There shall come forth a rod, meaning authority, what rods represent, authority to rule, from the stem of Jesse or out of the loins or out of the legacy of Jesse, which was David's father, right? And a branch shall grow out of his roots. God had a plan to bring his son out of mankind, out of the roots he chose, the roots it would come out of. The spirit of the Lord, capitalized meaning God himself, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, capitalized still, spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's the seven spirits of God, as we say. There's not seven different spirits. It's all one, the same Holy Spirit, but he has attributes in seven different ways to explain that. So when we talk about, I'm going to walk in the power of this son, not just just get caught up in the history of the child, but in the power of the son, that means he's imparted to you and I, the spirit of the Lord, the rest upon him is now upon his church, his body, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All of those things, he said, now belongs to us if we recognize and receive the son and not just... Well, I believe in the history of it Two, There's a difference between he's, he's given us a son. Do we receive him? And I don't mean just theologically. Yes, Jesus, you're my Lord and savior. I prayed this prayer. It means I still pursue him. I'm still going after this Prince of peace, still going after the knowledge and wisdom, all that. it tells of that. And I go to him and I'm looking to him as the one to to give it to me. Jesus was making a statement to Pharisees, which he seemed to love confronting. The Sanhedrin, they were the, the legalistic, they were the legal arm of actually the Roman government. The Romans allowed the Sanhedrin to operate and spy on the Jews in case there was an overthrow or coup, and they would allow them to function what they would do, and, and that's how they crucified Jesus under the Sanhedrin law, Jewish law, not Roman law. That's why Paul said, I don't find anything wrong with you. So he, he comes to them, and they were so proud of themselves that the scribes would, would have to read the Scriptures by every jot and tittle, lest they, they feel like they have blasphemed. There's no room. So that's why they were scribes. They had to write it down exactly. And then the, the other Pharisees, they just, they just made up the rules. As they went along. So they came to this group, and Jesus said to them, you search the Scripture daily, And in that you're looking for life, and you should, but you wouldn't come to me. And Because these scriptures speak about me, but you wouldn't come to me. And the reason being is that they had in their mind the way that God would send Messiah, and it certainly wasn't through Judah. Judah was not going to be the way that it came from. If anything, it'll come through our tribe, our way of doing it, our Levitical priesthood, and our legalistic system because they can be one of the good old boy systems and we can control them. It was as political then as it is today. So God zigzags and brings them Judah, who means praise, and brings it through the, one of the least of the tribes because it was through God's divine intervention, wanted to bypass this legalistic Levitical priesthood that was only to be a stopgap because the people didn't want to have a personal relationship with God. And he said, okay, I'll give you the tribe of Levi. They'll become the priest. They'll become an intermediate between you and I. New new covenants coming. God is starting to do reformation, bring everything into a new covenant thing. And he says, I don't want to bring it after Levi. I want to bring it after Judah, which will be the house of bread. Bethel, even bring my son into Bethlehem. David was born in Bethlehem. So you can see God's plan all the way through of bringing us into a personal relationship, not coming through a man-made system or religion. So we are saying to them, the word is premier, but how you interpret it based upon your application is the key. You interpret it to put other people under rules and regulations, the yabbas, the yabbas, and the yabbas, and you kept them from me. Kept them from having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's why it's important. We need the spirit of the son to show us what he meant when he said it. Holy men of old spoke as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. It wasn't a group of guys getting in a room somewhere and say, hey, let's just make up these rules and let's write this down. That'd be good. We can use this later on. Let, you know, so so uh, parents can whip up on their kids and have this whole you know, fear on them. All these different things would happen. So they're saying through this, the, God himself saying, the Spirit of God moved upon them to speak in such a way that it was God-breathed. How we hear the word of God either sets us free or we can translate it in a greater controlling. John eight thirty two. you shall know the truth and the truth shall make. Thank you, baby. You've been around me a while. Not create, the Lord shall make, which is the word for create. Not set, but make. And the holy, that God will make, create in us freedom. So, with that understanding, is if we're going to operate in the last days in the power of the Son, there is this transformation that moves from this legalistic law thing, which I think the apostate church is going to, is heading that way more and more and more, to into this liberty, not an occasion for the flesh, into the liberty of the Holy Spirit, for what God wants to do, in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. Now, all right, look with me, James. I want to. St- one of the things, someone asked me a question not too long ago, and I thought, you kidding me, this is absurd. And they asked me, have you ever heard of grave sucking? Anybody ever heard of grave sucking? Or grave leeching? Man, I didn't. Not in my world. So, I mean, I had to look it up and see. And there was people who had taken the scripture where there were some men in the scripture that was fleeing and they were getting, trying to bury their friend, and they were fleeing, and the, somebody was chasing so they threw the body in on, on, I think it was Elisha's bones, and the guy came back to life. So now they find people historically revivalists and people that had working miracles, find out where they're buried, all over the country, and they go lay on the ground and want this impartation from a bunch of bones. Jesus said, told the Pharisees, you're a sepulchre <laughs> full of dry, dead men's bones. So Jesus wasn't authorizing it. So what we're saying is, I don't need God to be the giver of the gift. I'm looking for to leech it some other way or just because I want it. I like their history, but I don't want to have to go through what they did to get it. A couple of years ago, I was in a meeting and, and this young guy came up and he said, and I was tired. The end of the meeting and said, will you lay hands on me and impart to me and whatever gift it was? And the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. And I said, thank you. I'm tired. And I said, no, I'm not supposed to. And he said, why? I said, because if I pray over you, just like Jesus said to his disciples, we want this, we want this. And he said, can you drink the cup that I'm drinking? And I said, well, you want to have an hour. We'll sit down and tell you the hell that I had to go through to get here. Not saying you've got to do the same thing, but God has a way of testing and trying to see if we're ready for what we're believing God for. Joseph went through it so many times that you test the foundation to see if the rest of the place ready for a greater weightiness of God. So we want the weightiness of God, but we want to you know, throw it out on the sand with no preparation for foundation and then it'd be destructive. Not saying God can't do anything, he can do anything he wants to, but there is a process with that. So in James 1.17, he says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The same word for glory. Eden was his headquarters on earth. There is throne room in the third heaven, the glory, wherever that is. Comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no verimleness nor shadow of turning. James says, Every good, perfect teleos, completed, finished work or gift comes comes from God. You can go into 1 Corinthians 14 and you can read about all the gifts there. And it says, desire earnestly the gifts. So part of it is we have to first have a desire for it, not just a flippant way of saying, oh, just, you know, give me what you got and I'm on the way. It's this thing that he puts his passion desire deep down in your heart to where you go after it. Desire to prophesy, There can be the the impartation that happens because Paul said to Timothy, do not neglect the the gift that was given to you by the laying on of the hands of the presbyteros or the presbytery. But he's telling don't neglect it. So you can receive it, but it's so totally something else to step into it. So his son is given, we have received him But a whole nother thing of stepping into the Christos or the anointing of that mantle because what causes a gift to operate is the anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke, Isaiah says, not the gifting. The gifting can impress people, they can wow them, they can be all excited about the gift, but it's the anointing empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this relationship with God that literally severs all of the headship of anything that the enemy ever had to give you. So by that he's saying that we desire earnestly to give, there there can be a such I freely receive, freely give. So that's the initial, that may be the conception, that may be that childlike moment, but then to come into a full sonship where that gifting has now moved into the power and the authority fully of that word has to be something we walk out. And there's things that, that God put in my heart as a young guy that I wanted, and I deeply wanted, and I went after, but he didn't tell me the cost. Rightly so. He said, just walk with me and we'll see where we'll go. That's what the disciples saying. Where do you live? Where's your house? He said, the birds have their nests and, you know, foxes have their holes. Son of man has no place. You still want to go with me? Well, what kind of deal is that? Then he said, show me, show us the father. Philip did, show us the Father. Because it was a legitimate question because in those days that a young man, that his wealth and his his direction and and what was going to happen in his future all relied about where his father was and his father in the generations to come. And Jesus says back to him, you've looked at me all this while and you haven't seen the father? Well, that blew him away because that didn't make sense. Before he was there in the beginning, he was there in the Elohim, so he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus wasn't being sarcastic. He was telling the truth. But the truth was so far beyond their ability to grasp it, they just go, oh he's messing with us. But he went on to say, everything I do, I point to the Father. I'm all about pointing to the Father. So in order to come into where we carry this, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of understanding, there's a maturity that, ha- that happens to where we grow from childishness into sons. Are we a good son? Are we a good son? There are ministries that have learned the right cliches, but have never grown up in the Lord. Now, here's what I mean by that. They like the idea of ministry. They like the the power of seeing it manifested, but they've never walked through that place to where it was ever tested. Faith that's never tested is still just a belief system. I believe it's possible, but when your faith is tested and James tells us that, that God doesn't test us and the word test there means to try our flesh, but we do know that he tests our faith, but not, he said, man is drawn away of his own lust when he's, when he's tested. In other words, that your flesh is drawn away to something else. The test is not from God, but he does test to see what he's planted there. It's his house, it's his building, it's his doing, and he sure will test it from that point now. I believe this is where we are in the the church age coming into this this postmodern world. That's the reason I said all that to say this. That Jesus, who is the head of his church, someone said a long time ago, Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants the church the way he started it. How did he start it? He started by his authority, by his word and his empowerment. The church was never meant to be a gathering of just socialites. Never was meant to be that we only did good works, although we do them and we should do them. But we don't let that substitute for our relationship with him. The giving to the poor, as great as that is, we don't let that substitute for pursuing his heart. Lord, look at everything I've done. Yeah, you've done. That's what the Pharisees have done. We've tithed of our mint, our deal, our spices. I mean, every spice we've got in our cabin, it's bound down to the grain. We've have, we've have been so loyal, holy. And he said, Yeah, you should have done that. Nothing wrong with that. But here's some weightier things that you should also do as well. So here's an interesting that he begins to talk to, to them in Galatians the third chapter. This is a transition into the New, new Covenant. There is a, a saying that I, heard, I grew up in Texas hearing. I don't know if they say it somewhere else. I'm sure, of course, that Texas claims everything that belonged to them first. That's so why we repent from pride all the time. <laughs> all right, look in Galatians 3 and pick it up, Verse 20. Now, the mediator, excuse me, chapter 5, Galatians 5. I'll get back to 3 in just a second. No, 4, excuse me. I'll get it. Somewhere between three and five, there's a place called four. I'll get there, but I, if I get ahead, it won't make any sense. Verse 26 starts out For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then that is not just technon, but it's weos, mature sons. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The same word put on there is also the word mantle. We don't go to a grave and suck out somebody's mantle. We go to Jesus. I don't want somebody dead in the mantle they have. I want the mantle of the son of the living God. Because when he mantles us, it doesn't pass away. So the mantles are symbolic for authority and covering, but I don't go to a man to get mantled. I can have impartation, encouraging faith, to pursue that, but ultimately it's Jesus that drops that mantle upon him. In the case with Elijah and Elisha, there was a mantling in the Old Testament that was for successiveness move of that. And he said, told Elijah, asked Elisha, What do you want? He said, A double portion. Double portion doesn't mean twice the amount, is the point, is the amount that belongs to the firstborn son that will distribute it to the rest of the family. So The legacy continues on to be imparted to everybody else. All right, here's the rest of it. You were baptized, fully engulfed in Christ, the anointed and put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There you go. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, the anointed one. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So he said, all the families of the earth would be blessed by him. And heirs according to the promise meaning the fact there is a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So the idea of needing a son in the Old Testament carries over into the New Testament. Verse 4, chapter 4 rather. Now I say that the heir, speaking of Jesus, as long as he is a child, that's the technon, does not differ even from, all, from a slave, though he is master of all. Think about that. Jesus born as a child is heir of the whole earth, and yet he doesn't get it. He is an heir, but it's not given to him until a time. He is inheritance-wise or in line for it, but he doesn't get it until a certain time. There are things that we are promised spiritually, and sometimes we never get it is because we never grow up to receive it. Make sense? There's things the Bible says, this belongs to you, then if that's true, why has it happened is because we haven't grown up enough for him to mantle us as a technon, as a mature son, which means to carry on the business of the family. Hang on. Though he's a child, technon, has to depend on others, does not differ at all than from a slave, though he is master of all. He has the same status as a slave, a workman, and yet he is the master of all. Notice the difference. I'm trying to wrap your brain around that. But he's under guardians, stewards, or tutors, one translation says, until the time appointed by the father. Now here's the, the Texas saying, you're never a man until your father says you are. you've ever heard that before? Wow. And you're not even from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up hearing that And the importance of a father laying hands upon their son and saying, You're a son and I'm proud of you. I remember the day that my dad wasn't a great, wasn't a strong believer in the Lord, but he said that to me not even knowing what he did. I mean, I was living in Tyler and and just, I went home for a visit and he put his arms around me and he said, I am so proud of you. I'm, I'm happy that you're my son. I bawled for the first hundred miles on the way back. I did that for a group of pastors that Diane and I were ministering to at a retreat. And some of these guys were older than me. So when I was sharing this with them, that there's something about when the father says they transfer, you're no longer a child, but now you're a son. I transfer you with the rod and I give you this authority. And with that authority comes those seven spirits we name and everything that you need of to conduct the family's business. I've already wrapped up in this. But there's this transfer in that. So sometimes we get frustrated with people. You ought, to be, you ought to have more than that. You ought to have authority. You ought to have all. But they've never grown into where that mantle has fully dropped on them. So when we were in this retreat, there was probably about 30 guys there. And we were going around. And Pastor Ola and I and were there. And we were laying hands on them and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Receive the mantle of your father. Man, I, Man, these guys have been in ministry a lot longer than I am and fall out on the floor and just start crying their eyes out. We had a sword and we'd, we'd knight them, you know. Not that we were knighted, but just authority. We went all the way around the room and came up to a friend of ours. If I told him, you know, and he, I don't have his permission to tell you this. He told me, he says, right before, two people before that I said, he said, I was sitting there thinking, this is the cheesiest thing I've ever seen Kerry do. He was resistant to it, wasn't happy about it. So as soon as we came up to him, laid hands upon him, and he knew the scripture like Jesus at his baptism. And he said, this is your father in heaven. I'm not your father, your father in heaven. And I declare over you that... You're a son this day. I'm well pleased with you. This was a big guy. In fact, he played football for the Los Angeles Rams as a walk on for a while. So that tells you how big. And it wasn't on the backfield either. He fell out on the floor, doubled his feet up under, like a fetal position, and sat there and just shook for the whole rest of the meeting. We left him. He was still shaking. He told me later, he said, I came from the West Coast and I owned a, a whole bunch of transmission shops and my dad never said one time that I ever did anything right. When I would come to visit him, he said, if it was me, I would have done it like this. I would have done it like this. I would have done it something else. He always found fault with what he was doing and never released that blessing of a father upon a son. If you've never had that, you can go to the Father in heaven And say, Lord, I'm asking for the blessing from a father to the son. Because the scripture says he's under tutors, governors, stewards. He's still being taught. He hasn't had the training wheels taken off his bicycle yet until the set time of the father. And there's many fathers like to hold sons back. But God is looking forward to raising sons up. Because the more sons he raises up, the kingdom of God is extended and expanded. So when we see that he's saying that he couldn't do anything, Jesus couldn't do anything until the set time of the Father. We know the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man can return after his church, is bride elect, so, except the Father knows. This is very in Scripture. Jesus today, if we understand it this way, that he doesn't even know when the fa- when he could even say, go get your bride, but he is ready. Until the father says, it's not about him being ready, that your bride is ready. I believe right now that we're seeing a separation of sheep and goats, if you will. Take you back a few weeks ago, the scapegoat. And uh, the word there is don't let the scapegoat uh, get back in the camp. Because it brings in what was given unto him to go out in the wilderness. He tries to bring back in. You can't live an overcoming life with, with the Lord If Sunday is the only time you get close to the Lord. Too many other days a week to just flesh out and say, oh, Sunday, I I got close. That's, That's a child thing. Sons walk before him in the marketplace, wherever they are, there the father is. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, we could say. On the job, on the family, on the business, and wherever we are, there he is. He's wanting to conduct the business of the Father. What I do behind the pulpit is the smallest part of being a son. I want to be known as a good son. When I, 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 sharing, I was praying this some my desk before I came out in worship this morning, I said, Lord, when my life is through on this earth, can it be said that I left nothing on the table? I sowed it all towards you. And I didn't resist you in any aspect in any area. Do give me give me redemptive rights again for that. Nothing happens and changes until the set time of the Father. All right, look at the rest of this, verse three. So when you were children, it's we are there, mature. You were in bondage under the elements of this world, the control and dictates of a world system. But when the fullness of the time come, it come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So we no longer act as children, childlike, but now we're operating as sons. He said, I've adopted you into a family of sonship that carries the right and the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. You just got to believe it, know it. When you get frustrated with people, God, is not working. It's not working. Then go to your father. I've given you authority in the heavens over things on the earth. But when I try to manipulate the things on the earth, nothing happens. So I go to him, the author and the finisher of my faith. If I try to make it happen, confusions come. But when I go to him, I'm trusting him the time and the seasons to happen. I look back now and the things that were spoken over me as a 19 year old kid, had they happened then... Man, I'd have have left bloody bodies everywhere. If God had given me just carte blanche with authority, there's times I was in traffic and I'd say, God, can I just call down fire right now? Just one time, one time. I'll I'll not ask for a whole lot more, but one time, let me let me have call fire down right now. You don't know what spirit you're of. Probably not, but it sure would feel good for the moment. And you kill a bunch of people in the process. Well, I can always repent. If I can always repent, it's true. But if I have that attitude, it means I'm not ready to be a son, fully given the keys of the kingdom to operate there. Look at verse 5. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, fully vested, all power and might, born of a woman, fully part of this earth, but also in heaven. He was born under the law to show that we could break the power of the law. Break through that. Because the law says a woman couldn't do anything in church. You know that? Women keep, keep silent in church. 1 Corinthians 14. And sadly say, there's people that still believe that stuff. That was a law the Sanhedrin made. The good old boys club and put up a curtain there. Women on one side, men on the other. I was looking at a, an Orthodox uh, Seder just the other day and the curtain is still there. There was in Jerusalem. <laughs> Jesus came to tear down that, so it's not about male nor female. It's about the mantle of the son, that I've adopted you and made you all sons. You belong to him, all sons, not your gender or race or any of that. Verse 5, to redeem, means to bring back to the original plan, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. We need to be adopted as sons there's some things that we've learned behavior as, as sons of the earth that we need to let go of it so we can be adopted as sons of the heavenly. Well, you weren't raised in my family. In my family, we did this and that and all that. Those are excuses so that I don't have to comply with my father in heaven. If you had a father like mine, you wouldn't know. There's a father greater. The father of lights is greater than the father of the earthen. We all choose I want to step out of that and step into the adoption of the sons. Old things are passed away. He changes your name or a new name. You've got a white rock in heaven. There's a name there. Nobody knows except He that's written it there. So recognize you got a new name in heaven and start operating out of the name, even though you don't know it. But it's, it'll be a good one. Not haltingly or rebellious, skin of the teeth. But I don't believe, I Don't want that name. To redeem them under the law, they might receive the adoption of sons. And because you were sons, again, we us, mature, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son. Now, here's the difference I can receive Him, but there's something different when the Spirit of His Son comes into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba Father, not calling, crying out, my dad on this earth, crying, Abba Father, my Father in heaven. Abba Father. God you are the Lord God that links me to the throne room of God and I'm severing all ties that has linked me to another seat. Right, Abba Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Everything that Jesus operated on the earth, you are an heir to. I'm an heir to. I just have to remind myself the here, you're better than that, because Jesus says it. Well what about this? That upsets me. Let go of that and step into Jesus. Let the mantle of the Holy Spirit. as always. All right let me see how I can land this. All right, looking back in Galatians three. Pick it verse 24. The law was a tutor to bring us, he's speaking Jews, to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. He's saying the time now is when the Holy Spirit wants to take over. That part inside of us that would baptize into Christ that takes over and we call it having a conscience, having a sense of right and wrong, having a sense that where I'm not having to, call and say, is it okay if I do that? Is that okay if I do that? I'm thinking about going out and sinning a little bit. Do you think God will forgive me that way? If you have to ask, no. You heard the stories of my mother. I'd go out on a date and she said, remember the Holy Spirit is in the back seat. And if that's not enough, he's inside of you. Therefore, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he'll tell me when you get home. And I would have rather dealt with the Holy Spirit than dealt with her. I feared not because of what she'd do with me. I loved her so much I didn't want to break her heart, and I couldn't keep any secrets from her. All right. In Romans, uh, let me just wrap it with this. In Genesis, the third chapter, verse fifteen. Here's the prophecy that was given. He said. The seed of the woman, this was after the fall, the seed of the woman shall crush the seed of the serpent. In other words, there's a son coming, if I can paraphrase it that way, that will carry such authority in heaven that he will embody himself in the seed of a woman which produces the the son of the living God, which now reproduces himself inside of us And we become sons from that seed. And that seed, according to Romans 16, verse 20, and the the God of peace shall shortly give you a little comfort and a little feel-good moment. The God of peace, how how will the God of peace operate? He will crush Satan under your feet. He's already done it under his feet, but he said, I want to show you that inside of you, there's something more than what is seen. It's your feet and you've got to do the stepping and you've got to do the stepping out. And that's when the anointing comes upon us, though I, I'm, I'm given it the right have authority, but it doesn't happen until I do it. Every gift is now manifested when we do it, not just when someone lays hands on us and now you have this gift. Well, that's good. Now I've got to go out and operate it when the mantle fell from Elijah to Elisha Elisha took Elijah's mantle and he went back and he he struck that brook and he says where is the lord god of Elijah he did something with the mantle he just didn't hang it on the wall and say this is that a nice certificate of ministry he did something with the mantle now hear me if when you see i think we should give honor where honors due but to set ministry up in a high in a position in such a way they said, man, I want that, that anointing or that mantle, and I follow this guy all around the country just, you know, hoping he'll just, you know, throw me a bone. That becomes idolatry. Why not go to the original manufacturer who gives those mantles because the Bible says you were baptized into Christ, meaning you're now covered or mantled, which was the outer covering of a, a Jewish person. And when they cast a mantle on them, it means now you're covered with them. That's why a young man carried his father's mantle because he didn't have any authority of his own. I believe that we're in a time when God wants the gifts to operate through all of us, not, not just in the church. The gifts should be operating all the time, everywhere, all the time. When you have faith to step out and do it, that's when it clicks in. Most of the time I've been thrown in the deep end. That's how I learned to swim. My, my big brother just picked me up and threw me in a public pool and threw me in right into the diving board that was uh, eight and a half feet deep. And I went down, blub, 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 blub. He said, swim, swim, blub, 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 blah, blub. Swam, swim. Thought if I could, I sure wouldn't be doing this. Somehow or another, it kicked in. Start dog paddling until I get the rest of me out of there. He said, now you can swim. So surely there's got to be a better way to do that. Most of my life, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's done. He didn't ask me, how would you like it? You want the easy way, the hard way? You want it? I said, why not Yahweh? You'll get that. But doing that, you've stepped out and you've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. Something beginning now, the gift has moved into the power of manifestation. It's no longer a gift. It becomes the reality. When I was a young guy, and there were three of us growing up in the church, and we were given a card, and we put it in our pocket, and we just thought that we were something big. We were given a card. It wasn't an ordination. It was a, what do you, what do you get before an ordination Uh, Learner's permit (laughs) or It was was license. license, thank you. We were given a license. Which means you can marry and bury, and that was about it. And I didn't want to do either one of those. Until the time when it came out where I had to preach the first message, I just wanted to tell people that I had a card in my pocket. The card in my pocket did not help me at all for what I was having to do. The time was now to trust the Lord. And remember, he's telling me this the very first time. He said, I love these people more than you love them. So therefore, I'm going to honor you in front of them because I don't want any of them damaged. So it's not about you. And he reminds me that. God loves you so much, what he paid the price for, he sends people out and some people hear whatever they need to hear through the message and, and praise God for that. Let me end it with this. Jesus is ready to release the mantle on the church. He takes some of some of his disciples outside of town. He's getting ready to be lifted up into the heavens. In John the 20th chapter, I'll end with this. Verse 21. As Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, as the Father sent me and gave me a mantle. Now I'm sending you. The word sent there is the same word we get as apostello, apostello, apostolic. We have people that are trying to make a big thing over I'm an apostle and you're just one down on the lower end of the pole. You can be apostolic and never preach a message. You can be apostolic. It simply means I'm sent unto the Lord. I'm just going to function as one sent, not as some, some hierarchy organization. And I'm all for having covering of of people that we are accountable to. Father has sent me, so I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Alex was talking about. It can be given, but then there has to be receiving. There's a lot of times that we... We're in church said, how many want this? Oh, we have it, okay. But you have to receive it so much so that I pursue it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And he goes on to say, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins or forgive any forgiven, if you retain, they're retained. He's not telling them that you now have such a pure life, you can forgive people's sins. He just saying, make sure you, you stay in a place of forgiveness. If you don't forgive, you retain that sin. On yourself. The rabbis believe that when Jesus breathed on them. And said receive the Holy Spirit. He was saying do you want this? It wasn't everybody. It was a, his, his main disciples. And he breathed on them. And the original says he gave them the name of his father. Wow. I'm not leaving this earth until you have, you have the name of the father. Inside of you, and He breathed on them to transfer the pneuma of God. <sighs> Do they speak in tongues? Doesn't look like it right there. But not too long right after that, Jesus, being the firstborn, He received what what Psalm says that that I will give my inheritance to my son is prophesying. I'll give him the nations as his inheritance when Jesus took his own blood into the Holy of Holies, put it upon the mercy seat. Then it was all done and settled, completed and finished. That meant Jesus now received his inheritance as the firstborn according to the law and he had to fulfill all the law. Then the second thing that happened was when the firstborn received their inheritance, they had to distribute the rest of the wealth of their estate or legacy or an inheritance to the rest of the family. Acts chapter 2, there was the reading of the will. All of a sudden, the wind of the Holy Spirit came and filled that upper room. Those 120 that stayed, 500 were there, 380 couldn't wait, and they peeled out. But it was 120 that received it. What what happened was they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The early disciples, those that said receive the Holy Spirit, now they were mantled, baptized, meaning fully engulfed, fully covered, Spirit, soul, and body, and now they're carrying the mantle. Before saying, you want this? Here's his name. The next step is you got to be fully covered, fully baptized with him. It's not enough just to say, yeah, I want that. I want to give acquiescence. Now I want to step into that mantle and power of the Holy Spirit. From then on, they began to do signs and wonders and miracles, and the power of God was manifested in all of their life at that moment. Stand with me if you would, please. I believe it's very important for the church, Trinity, wherever you are around the world. If you have an ear to hear, it's not enough. It's not about getting a gift so you can go preaching and doing, that kind of thing. The gifts were never intended to make evangelists or televangelists. It was meant to be received so wherever they came in contact with people, there was this God-breathed gift on the inside of them that would just come out. It would just happen. It would be the press of the Holy Spirit would come upon you at times and just begin to change the, the atmosphere and the environment. But a lot of times we say, well, I need to go get somebody that's got this gifting and let them do it. No, Tag, you're it. You're one step away from seeing the manifest presence of God begin to happen. And when you do that, everything changes. You get a taste so you can see the goodness of the Lord. I had received it, but now it's time to be baptized with it. And to carry the mantle. Old things pass away. An example of this. I was coming back from overseas and flew into, into New York and LaGuardia. I mean, there in LaGuardia, it's just every nation in the world is trying to transfer, going or coming around the world. Tongues, I mean, every tongue you can imagine was being there. Not tongues of fire, I mean tongues of this world. I was trying to figure out where to go because I had to get transfer and get a seat on the next flight going home. Finally, got up to this place, the counter that I'd transferred to, and there was a guy that was right in front of me, and then there was the ticket agent. The agent looked like she was about 18 years old, probably in her 20s. This guy was railing on her and calling her a pig, calling her every filthy thing you can imagine. And she was just almost in tears and said, sir, I can't do any more than what the computer will let me do. There's not a seat for you. I had enough. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or just my spirit as a daddy. Been on a flight for about 14 hours, 12 hours, I think that time I tapped him on the shoulder and he goes, what? I said, I think I can help you something about his seat. He says, really? How can you do that? I said, I can cast that thing out of you. He was shocked. He didn't know what I was talking about. And he goes, and I said, no, really. He goes, Ah! Just turned around and walked off. This young lady, I says, I'm going to make it easy for you. Here's my ticket. I'm just trying to get home. And she started crying. She says, this is my first day on the job. Thank you for doing that is there anything I do for you? Not a thing. Just give me a seat. I got a ticket for it. She said, I can put you in first class. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. See what happens when you obey God. I just, I was just strutting myself on there. Just got a ticket, 1A, 1A. I walked on that plane because I couldn't see anything. The windows had blacked out. And I walked on that. It was a tiny little commuter flight and there was no first class, but there was a 1A. She didn't know that. And the Lord said, see how quickly you rejoice and how quickly you unrejoiced. Instead of saying, I'm happy at all times and all seasons for whatever you want me to do. Whether it's in the airport or wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is looking for a willing vessel that would just out of your innermost being allow him to be God over the situation and influence. So Father, we're so thankful that you gave us a child, but that child didn't stay a child, but he grew up as the son of the living God that embodied every authority in heaven and earth around the world. And we get to participate and join with the son of the living God. Thank you for the same anointing and power that you place in Jesus. Help us to never, never lose sight of the fact there's more inside that person than meets the eye. There's more to us than what we even think. Forgive us, Lord, that we have an opinion or made statements about other people saying they're trash or there's this or they're that. If they're born again, they're bought with a price and created on the blood of Jesus. Therefore, I'm I'm cursing Jesus, not that person. And when you curse another person, he'll take his hand off of you and say, you're on your own to do your thing. I can't risk living a life that way. I want to have the eyes of the Spirit to see the way Jesus sees them. He may not see them the same way. Let me just say that anybody watching by home today, You don't go into eternity into heaven on the family plan. Your mother, your grandmother, I don't care what they were and how great they were. Every person has to come through the door, John 10 tells us, and that's through Jesus. Jesus, the son of the living God. He says, I don't know you, why? because he only knows those who know his son. His covenant is with his son, not even with us. We we have Jesus and so therefore Jesus said I'll share my covenant with you. We come through his blood not by how good we are not because I helped an old lady cross the street maybe there's just a different place in hell but it's through Jesus. So father I pray that the revelation of the son of the living God would come.